Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Footballistically Arsenal. I am Boyd Hilton. Um, it's only the second podcast of the new season and already Sidekick Josh has let me down by daring to go on holiday with his lovely wife and child. How dare he? Priorities all wrong, but fear not. We've got an excellent duo of guests to replace him instead. Just to replace him, in fact. We have Granite Xhaka's number one fan, a.k.a. Ricky Lawrence. Hi, Ricky. Hello, Boyd. It does feel fitting that on the day that we've announced. Have we actually officially announced it? I know it's been... I think so. Well, yeah. it's definitely been announced via David Ornstein, which is all yeah. is, isn't it? Yeah. It does feel fitting that that is the day. Today's the day that I joined the podcast for the first yeah. time in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome anyway. Yeah. We'll talk about Xhaka and all that later on, obviously. And we also have um, Footballistically Arsenal icon and Hector Bellerin's number one fan, Alan Alga. Hi, Alan. Good to be with you, Boyd. Yeah. Great, great to have you. Thanks, Alan. Um, before we get out into the nitty-gritty of the current Arsenal situation, following our ignominious um, first game of the season against Brentford, I have to say that um, one of the joys of that Brentford game, actually, was to see that crowd. Um, that their crowd and some of our bold away supporters gathering for the first, and it's brilliant to have um, everyone back back in stadia. But if you are watching the game at home, what better way to enjoy it than with beer fifty two beers? So when you're watching from the comfort of your own home, they are offering eight craft beers sourced and curated from the best breweries on the planet for free. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash Arsenal and just cover the £5.95 for the postage. Beer 52 is the world's most popular craft beer discovery club with over 150,000 members that they send a brand new case to every month. And every month's case has a different theme. Past themes have included beer from New Zealand, South Africa, Korea, 
and all over the USA and Europe. And if dark beer is not your thing, you can simply choose the light option and your case will come with award-winning beer magazine Ferment and a tasty snack. Don't worry, though, if you do change your mind, you can pause or cancel your account at any time. So that's beer52.com forward slash Arsenal, beer52, the figures.com forward slash Arsenal to get your first case of eight beers for a mere £5.95. Extraordinary scenes. Anyway, I think we probably were all, I believe. Unless Alan, you didn't go to the match on Friday, did you, Brentford? I didn't. No, I wasn't there. No, so we're all, I guess, watching from the comfort of our own. I was, I was there, boy. You were there, oh, Ricky. I well done, there. Ricky. Ah, oh, staunch, yeah. staunch away fan. Yeah. What the atmosphere look, was looked absolutely extraordinary. Um, sounded extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, it's almost difficult. I feel like maybe because I mean, I went. I was lucky enough to go to. Um, well, I actually went to the um, the final of the Euros, um, but other than that, obviously, having not gone to football match for so long. It was almost difficult to com- having anything to compare it to, but I mean, for the I mean, it was just like polar opposites. The Brentford fans were just delirious, and the Arsenal fan. I actually, a couple of people are, have asked me if it was like toxic, but it wasn't. Not where I was. It was sort of just. It was unfortunately. It was more just accepting of this is where resigned. We are. Resigned. It was a bit. It was a bit. I mean, not you know, no one obviously. Well, you wouldn't expect us or at least hope that we wouldn't lose to Brentford, but there was definitely a different feeling to that game being there on Friday night rather than games where you've gone with, you know, I don't know, places like Everton or, you know, um, Newcastle, West Brom, whatever, and been like, and we've lost there. And you think, okay, fine. That Then the atmosphere has been a lot worse than it was on Friday, in my opinion, anyway. It depends on obviously where you're sitting, but it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't, too, uh, it wasn't too bad considering we were losing at home. Uh, sorry, losing at a new promoted side. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, maybe, maybe Alan. Um, we've all. I, I offer this possibility that we've all gone massively over the top, Arsenal fans, as 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 we often do, as all football fans do, I guess, but particularly Arsenal fans in this era, because. I mean, it was a terrible defeat. And I saw, like, Paul Merson, for example, on Sky was like, you know, this is one of the worst things I've ever seen. I'm paraphrasing. Um, And a lot of people were really, really scathingly furious about the whole thing. But in the cold light of day when suddenly your two first-choice strikers aren't available, and we'll get to that issue, why they weren't available. Um, So you have to play Balogun up front for the first time ever in the Premier League. And uh, Martinelli's coming back just from the Olympics and obviously hasn't been training much. And you haven't got your first choice midfield dynamo who's injured for a few weeks and et cetera, et cetera. Um, And you're playing this, a team that, you know, are desperate, desperate. This is like a cup final for them wasn't it, you know, on their, for their first game in the Premier League ever, et cetera. Is it, are we being too harsh when saying it's a disa- it was a disastrous performance, or do you think it was a disastrous performance? Um, I, I mean, I, I often think that there are too many overreactions to individual results and that you can only really make real judgments on groups of games, and, you know, I've, I've said that plenty of times before. Um, yeah, I think there were a few overreactions. I think a few people went over the top, but you know, on one hand, the positive side could be that I think it was 20-odd shots, um, 65% possession, and, 
you know, there are a few little things you can attach to that. And, and, and also, you know, the main thing that I think has almost narrated Arteta's time at Arsenal in that he has been really unfortunate with luck, including a lot of refereeing decisions. And you could argue that foul on Leno for goal number two, ball out for goal number one, and I'm absolutely convinced it was, and the penalty shout that we had. So add all those in a basket and you say, well, let's not get too despondent about it because it could have gone the other way. But you look at the stats of teams coming into the division and their first game, and, you know, I think it's, it's three in the last eight years have won their first game. And we've just, you know, become that third. Um, that's a shocking stat in, in, in that respect, in that most teams come into this division and they find it tough from the off, and that's the day to catch them. And despite all the positivity about their stadium and the fact that, you know, there was a great story around them being back in the Premier League, they were Brentford. And I know from from working in the betting industry that they have a fantastic uh, owner who is involved in the betting industry. And his whole uh, ethos behind the club is 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 you know, analytics, proper scouting and things like that. And I think actually we might have underestimated them. So there's another factor there. And then there's other little factors that all fall upon us as a club and as a setup and as an, as a, a coaching team and as a squad and those kind of things you can't get past, even if you want to balance the, the positives and negatives of one individual game. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair enough. Ricky, when, since you were there, I mean, often, in fact, this is the thing, Merson, I think, said this in his, in his run. I don't know if you've seen it. He said, you know, um, yeah. I think yeah. he was there, wasn't he? He said, you can't necessarily see from, from the TV coverage because um, TV coverage is only covering five or six players at any time. But when you're yeah. there, you can see how bad the whole 11 is performing. Did you think that, did you think it was a terrible performance when you're watching it with your own eyes? Did you think that, I mean, did you, you know, up front we were weak and we had it was it's right so as as alan says we had these 22 shots which is the most shots we've had under this manager but weirdly they were all completely terrible shots weren't they so it was like it completely cancels out that stat did it feel that way to you oh 100 I, I i i was actually shocked when i saw that stat. i can i i can think of the smith row um chance which he manufactured himself and the pepe shot which was at two two nil already um the jacker jacker heading over the bar as well um, I I thought we were absolutely terrible from from start to finish. One of my friends said, "Oh, you know, we um, you know we we had a good period in the second half. We were playing against. They weren't. They they, they went up through the playoffs. It's not like they stormed the championship. We played against the worst possible team in in theory that we could have been playing against, and we couldn't. We got we made their keeper make one good save. It's, 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 there's no doubt it was absolutely terrible performance. I can't really see how you, how I'm not saying you are, but I don't, I don't see how anyone could paint it up in any other way. But does the fact that we didn't have Lacazette and Aubameyang available, for, for example, doesn't it mitigate it a bit? You know, play, I mean, if they'd have been playing, I mean, I know they haven't necessarily been in the, well, Lacazette's had a decent preseason. Obviously, Aubameyang hasn't 
hasn't had the greatest of times. But surely if they'd have played instead of, say, Balogun and Martinelli, for example, we would have been sharper up front, wouldn't we? We could have converted some of those chances. So, in theory, yes. I mean, there's also Brentford missed some good chances. They had, they had. Yeah. I mean, the defending was was uh, it was it was it was laughable when I think he, um, is it Mbuemo, um the Brentford other uh, centre forward to Tony, he uh, managed to get past Mari Xhaka and Ben White. It was it was it was embarrassing, and he hit it wide. It was actually a really uh, poor effort. He hit the post. I think the thing you hop back to Aubameyang and um, Lacazette. These are two players. It's not like they flourish under Arteta or that Arteta has always been particularly enamored by either of them. There's clearly something going on between Aubameyang and Arteta. Not, not, not mention the fact, you know, they were ill on Friday or whatever it was. Um, apparently it could have been COVID related, but I'm not, I'm not so much um, talking about that. There's clearly something going on between Arteta and Aubameyang anyway. So, I mean, Aubameyang, who knows where he probably would have started, but it's not like Arteta is the first name on the team sheet under Arteta, or that he, I believe he pretty much should be. But Arteta, obviously, is not Arteta's guy. Lacazette, who knows? So, yeah, they would have started. We would have been better with them. But to say that it would have made a difference, yeah, it would, because they're two very good players. But they're not, they're not in great form. Aubameyang had his worst season. I don't think it's coincidence that it came under Arteta. But he had his worst season for Arsenal. And therefore, you know, if that if it's not that surprising that even then we're playing that weren't playing on Friday. Alan, there's there is it's, it's true, isn't it? That I, I I hear as well that it's it's a um, it's a COVID issue with the two of them. Um, I can't. There's a couple of things here, just 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 to get this out of the way before we carry on talking about the match in a minute. But just to deal with Aubameyang and Lacazette, the whole thing. First of all. I think, as far as I'm aware, Arsenal is the only club. Right? I listened to Five Live on Saturday when they went through the team news. I don't know if you, you know what you were doing, and they went through the team news for you know for the whole Premier League and the, pretty much you know the two divisions beneath. And regularly, the um, the uh, match reporters were saying, "Oh, so and so's out with COVID," or "So and so's um, isolating because of COVID," or "So and so tested positive COVID." It happened like five or six times in the space of about you know half an hour of team news. Arsenal have. Two of our most important players go absent mysteriously on the day that, that you know of, of the match. No clue in the build-up at all. This this was happening. Not, not, you know, completely secret. Then, when asked about it before the match, the manager is kind of weirdly mysterious, saying, "I can't really say more anything." And then the club refuses to confirm or deny that it's anything to do with COVID. And then, to make it worse, in the week, well, before that, to make it worse, Arteta was asked about whether Aubameyang's in decline and kind of gave a weirdly, like, kind of maybe he is answer, which I thought was astonishing. So to, to underline the point that there may be, conspiracy theorists may be, there is some issue between him and Aubameyang. So we ended up in this weird situation where the conspiracy theorists kind of, why wouldn't they come up with a conspiracy? Because it's such a mysterious situation. Completely, completely. Uh, Yeovil Town is the only other team I can give <laughs> that... Uh, <laughs> have cancelled again because of because of COVID. They've they've cancelled their national league opener this coming weekend. Um, I, I I I honestly, I mean, I have no insight as to what's going on. But from an outside point of view, it doesn't look right that that can even happen. And I mean, the other thing that you would the other point you'd make about that is that surely, if you've got two that have got potential COVID then how does that relate to the rest of the squad that they've been with and in very close contact with in training? 
you know, you you play sort of close-sided games in training. There's no doubt that defenders have got close to them. How was that not a complete shutdown, maybe, of the whole team? And I don't know what, what protocols are in place to, like, what threshold you have to get to to say, right, he misses out, but he doesn't. But everyone would have been in close contact. Everyone would have been around each other for that final week of preparation. How is it that, you know, these two players where we already think we've got a few issues, certainly with uh, Aubameyang, suddenly miss out? I mean, that was that was the baffling thing for me. Um, and you can dress it up as saying, well, at least, you know, others got a chance to play in those positions. But, I mean, that that brings me to the point that the Arsenal social team did, did them absolutely no favours whatsoever just to sell a few third kits by, by putting deadly underneath their three kits prior to the game. I mean, yeah. they, had one shot, they had one shot on target between yeah. them. Yeah. I mean, that that's just asking for trouble. All these things are... Uh, it's, it's just so many things wrong at the club yeah. at the moment. It's, that that was the social media equivalent of the of the mad woman I heard on Five Live and on I've kept mentioning Five Live, but you know I just yeah. all the time on in the in, on the day of the game it was going on about the American woman it was going on about we can't possibly lose to Brentford who's going to walk all over them it was absolutely I, ridiculous. I, I bizarrely asked you what she was wearing, Boyd, which yes. obviously on radio is completely yes. ridiculous, but. Um, there is a there is an American woman in our fan base who's quite famous for having right. wild views, right. and <laughs> yeah. her optimism going into that is obviously yeah. another one to add to the bill. If it's who I'm thinking of, yeah, I'm sure it was. Before Ricky, before we come back to you, and before we talk more about the game on Saturday and all the other issues we have, and we've got a lot of issues, <laughs> let's take a quick break. And we're back from the break. Um, uh, Ricky, you were about to say something before I quickly uh, cut you off. No, no, no. Well, you mentioned um, the Arteta comments on Aubameyang. Oh, yeah. And it, it, is, it is baffling. I think, I think the way I see it is if we were having this conversation maybe in April or May of last year, and you would say there's clearly, I believe anyway, a, a clash between captain and manager. And to be honest, in my opinion, still probably behind Saka now, um, star player and, and manager. I would say maybe Arteta has a chance. He's got enough backing by the board, apparently, that he could win this battle. But now I think it's, you know, the way I see it is it's going is Arteta will leave um, and Aubameyang will come out as the victor. I, 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 when, I when's, our, when's, our ben, when's, when's Arteta going to leave? <laughs> well... You're okay. talking like what, the near what, future. What's the, what's the time? What's the time now? Let's hope before <laughs> this podcast finished. No, um, no, I'm, I'm talking. You know, well, Aubameyang has effectively got what 16 days to leave if he's going to go in this transfer window, and I've heard no talk of that happening. So I'm assuming that Aubameyang is going to be here in uh, come September the first. And if you're a betting man, would you bet on the same um, case being for Arteta? Because I wouldn't. I hope not. Unless wow. he manages to perform miracles. Well, I mean, we just lost at home. To, uh, I keep saying at home, we lost. We just lost to Brentford. We've got Chelsea and Man City next. We've got Spurs in the next five or six games. Do you think Arteta will still be here in January? Because, I, like I said, I... I oh, January? Well, that's, that's, well, that's nice. what I mean. That's the, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. next time about me and right. So, right. I, I compare see. it to... Look at, um, like, Deli Alli and Mourinho. Mourinho yeah. came in, yeah. made an enemy of him straight away, alienated him. Deli Alli was this, he was that. He barely kicked a ball under him. And yesterday, I think he ran the most uh, out of any player on the pitch. Spurs beat Man City and Mourinho's managing Roma. Um, who I know, I, I know, you know, they're not 
embarrassing team to manage, but he left and Dele Alli's there and the fans, I think, are, are pretty fond of him. And I think the same could well be could well happen for Aubameyang. I think Aubameyang is an absolutely brilliant player. I think Arsenal's biggest issue is scoring goals and we've got a striker who, whatever you want to play him, but he's an, an unbelievable player who, yes, had a poor season last year, but in my opinion, he had a poor season because of the man who was managing him, not because of his ability. And I think Aubameyang will win the, win the battle between him and Arteta because it's much, much easier to to get rid of the manager who is massively underperforming than, than a player and players who are, who are doing similar. I think, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that lots of managers can get a lot better out of not just him, but a lot of the players in the squad. And I think a lot of the players in the squad are very poor, but I still think manager, other managers could do better. It does feel like a different, it feels like, it feels like a, like decades ago, doesn't it, Alan? To me anyway, when, when, when um, we felt like we had the, one of the best strikers in the world, really, who could rescue our mediocrity regularly by kind of manufacturing goals almost on his own. I mean, obviously, they weren't literally on his own. He, they were assists and they were build-up play to, to, to enable to have these chances. But he was, you know, he was like joint golden boot. He was, you know, in a couple of years, he was like easily kind of scoring goals left, right and centre. He, inc- he was like, yeah, we, as Ricky says, he was... And one presumes still is a world-class player. So when, I'm going to read you the exact quote. This was the quote from this press conference where Arteta was asked about Aubameyang's, is it a decline? Um, and he said, I don't know. Last season and everything that happened individually, collectively around the club with everybody, it was difficult to measure whether it was a trend or a one-off. So basically he's saying, he's basically saying his, his number one striker maybe is a trend that he's in decline. I mean, that is a fucking, I mean, basically a fucking stupid thing to say, isn't it, in public? About yeah, your- and, and it's almost like everyone's been a little bit too simplistic with his drop-off in form saying, I'm pretty sure, you know, because he's out, he's out wide and he's being used on the left wing and no, you're dead right, Boyd. You're you're you've remembered it right in that he was he was being effective from both positions, and he was a top striker, and he was getting us out of trouble, and he was scoring goals on a regular basis. And as you said, you know he came close to well, he golden boot one year, and then missed it by one goal um, following after that. So that, yeah, there's absolutely no doubt, as Ricky has already said, that he is a top player that's capable of performing in this division. And when you start ticking those off, and there aren't that many in the squad, but there's certainly at least a few. When you start ticking those off, it suddenly points at the person that's trying to get the best out of them. And that that's the fear for Arteta. That's that's the huge fear for him in the... And, and you talk about his quotes. I mean, his quotes are bizarre a lot of the time. I think he has a weird... Uh, someone said someone said the other day and I, I actually sort of tried to work it out someone said last night and obviously Man City had already lost during the day but someone tweeted Pep and Arteta are cut from exactly the same cloth and they try to be too clever with their football management the only difference <laughs> that propels Pep is that he's got better players to get him out of that overthinking and trouble and you, you almost start to think then and say, I wonder if, you know, Pep was in charge of these, would they be the same? And, you know, he's overthinking of the Champions League. Is it a method? Is it, is it an actual management style that Arteta's picked up on as well? But Arteta's got to do it with Arsenal and Pep's got to do it with City. And that's why it's different. But actually, they're exactly the same. And, and people were saying that in the, in the positive times. They were saying, oh, you know, we've got, we've got Pep Mark II here and 
you know, this is going to be great for us. But I think it's well worth exploring that that Arteta is someone that just overcomplicates it. You can see it in his you can see it in his answers to his questions, his pre, you know his press his press conferences, his management, his micromanagement that I've mentioned so many times, and none of that does him any favors. And and one of the biggest things coming out of this game was that we're being talked about as such a small club now because people were saying that the 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 Chelsea and City games, the upcoming games that Ricky mentioned earlier. They're almost saying, oh, these are a bit of a freebie for Arteta and Arsenal because no one's expecting them to get any points. And wouldn't it be wonderful if, you know, one of them was a draw? And that, that you can't be in that space as a big club because it's small club talk and it all rests on Arteta. And as soon as we go down that route, he's got no chance of coming out away from it in a positive light. That Pep comparison is really interesting because I, I, I mean, Funnily enough, I said very much after the Champions League final. For me, I, I've, I've I've thought this about Pep for a lot, quite a while. Like I, you know, I watched some of Funnily enough, all or nothing. You know, the the Amazon documentary that they're now in. Can you imagine what the, the the scenes of carnage that are going to be when our version arrives on TV later this year? But I remember watching all or nothing with Pep, and of course when when Arteta was still there, and um, he loves he loves. <laughs> His own brilliance is one way of putting it. And he loves, as you say, he's famously coming up with super clever, you know, weird formations, putting playing players out of position, not playing false nine, not playing strikers and all of that. And I do think, and I know he won the league by convincingly. And and, people, and there was a, the thing in the Guardian headline today about their performance against Spurs saying, you know, flawed Man City, et cetera. And people were going, oh, flawed. They easily, you know, they easily won the league. But... When it comes down to it, in the last three game, really important games, he has fucked it up, hasn't he? I think tactically, and but particularly the tactics he has, Pep's tactics, um, Ricky. Can we, can we not? Can we not call the community shield an important game, please? I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. Thank you. I, I stand corrected. I agree. Sorry. The community I'm shield totally is not a trophy. There. Yeah, we were with you there. All right, but th- those games. So anyway, you sound like Mourinho a bit there. Uh, no, no, no. But, yeah, I take that back. Absolutely, <laughs> stand corrected. But my point is the the way he overthinks things and the way he sets Man City out, which, funny enough, again was didn't work against Spurs because they were slightly under, you know, underperforming, and they looked as slow. I said this on Twitter. They looked as slow and predictable as we do sometimes, you know. Um, but what my basic point is that his way of playing with City which is very what they call it positional isn't it it's very it's quite full of precise movements that he's carved out and he's worked out in his super brain I thought Arteta's playing us he's been playing we've been playing like that but we haven't got our players are nowhere near that good so it's a massive problem I think we're in dangerous territory here of comparing Arteta and, and Guardiola I mean, well, I, I'm comparing them in the in their. I, all I'm saying is, I think that's my way of saying. I'm not comparing them and saying they're, that Altus is anywhere near as good. But he's trying. He's trying to be a pep. That's the problem, and he's not. And more um, of the players, Man City players. I think first, just to mention one of Alan's points, I 100 percent agree with him. Arteta talks some of the most nonsense. Like, I, I find it staggering some of the things he says. It's like I can't remember who he played last season, but he was questioned on the amount of crosses we put in and he came up with something like, if you just keep crossing the ball, logic dictates you're going to score. Or worse to that effect. It was Tottenham away. Tottenham away. It was Tottenham away. The Brentford game was proof that that's not true, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah. well, um, I think with regards to Guardiola, I mean, I think he gets, uh, um, I would say he's 
overrated in the sense that he's only managed the best teams, pretty much the best teams, and he's got an insane amount of money, and they're close to probably possibly anyway spending another hundred plus million on on the best, if not one of the best players in the country. We are in, we're comparing apples and oranges in terms of resource resources, but yeah, also yeah. I think I'll tell you that's my point. My for, point is that without yeah, those resources, there's no point no, trying to play like them. Of course, I think where where I struggle slightly in my own head is that I think Arteta, and I don't mean to be too harsh, but I I can't think of any redeeming features across <laughs> his FA Cup win was fantastic. He mm. came when did he come in, in at Christmas? And he won the FA Cup, and and he also had to beat Chelsea and Man City to win it. Um, and fair play, like you know, that was fantastic. And if you would have said, "Do you want him to start the season the next season?" I'm sure I would have said 100. percent It didn't take very long into that season where I wanted him out. Not not just because of the results, but I think this is where I heart back to redeeming features. I think we play incredibly, incredibly dull football under Arteta. It's painful. I think I remember listening to the pod after we beat Chelsea one nil away. Um, and understandably, to a certain degree, there was praise for him. But I remember during the game, after the game, saying to, to my friends, I, I do not want to see Arsenal playing that. We scored one of the most lucky goals. It was, it was when, um, I think, Kepa cleared it off the line after yeah. the back pass, and then Smithrow bundled it in. Um, and that was in the 16th minute or something. After that, we didn't get out of our half. And I have to say, I, I find it painful. Not just, not just painful to watch because it's boring, but it's almost embarrassing. Chelsea, obviously more so now than, than then are an absolutely fantastic team but they took a rookie manager and they replaced him with someone who's clearly world class we have taken a rookie manager and kept him and kept him right still. I, I, I taking all that into account two devil's advocate points yeah, to make here surely one is as, as we often say Arsenal had what the third best record in the league from, from Christmas yeah. onwards right so yeah. results results at least and performances once Emil Smith-Rowe arrived in the team were, were, were much better. And secondly, even our defence was the third best as well in the league. So he has improved the defence, if not, and our record against the big, the big teams has also improved. There's a couple of things he has improved statistically, but you're saying that's not enough. I th- statistically, yes, of course. And, you know, you can't argue with, with those statistics, of course, but... <laughs> It sounds silly possibly to say, but any, you, you look at the record books and it says that Arsenal beat Chelsea 1-0. But I don't personally, from personal point of view, I watch, obviously I want Arsenal to win, but I also want to enjoy watching Arsenal. Um, and you, I, no, I don't think any Arsenal fans could really enjoy that game. I was watching it through my fingers, just waiting for the Chelsea goal. And of course it didn't come. But where I say that I, uh, you know, it's difficult, in, it, you know, you try to, to you play it over in your head is because I have sympathy in the sense that I think Arsenal have got some really, really terrible players, some really terrible players that, that wouldn't get into pretty much any other Premier League side. However, I think our manager is the bigger issue and I do believe there are managers that can get a lot more out of, out of the players that I do think are, are poor. Some of those players that I think are really poor, he has been responsible, if not singling them out, but he has been responsible for signing them. He's been the manager at the time anyway. You know, I think of uh, Pablo Mari that started at centre-back for Arsenal on, on, on Friday night. It's, again, I have to use the word embarrassing. It's, it's, it's frightening that he is playing for Arsenal in a Premier League football match. I've never seen, I can't say I've ever seen William Saliba play. But again, I question, Arteta is clearly responsible for falling out with players. I didn't like, I don't like Wenduzi. I think I didn't actually, I know a lot of people do. I don't like his personality on the pitch. I don't think he's all that. And I'm, I'm happy for him to go. But there's something, but he's fallen out with him. 
It's fallen out of a thirty million pounds defender who is, um, you know, clearly old enough to be playing in the Premier League. Albeit, look, he's old enough. You'd want someone experienced next to him, but he's old enough to be playing, and it's fallen out of him. It's clearly fallen out of Aubameyang. These are players that could be playing for Arsenal under a different manager, but our manager, who again, I don't think is all that at all, is responsible for for, for these players for not playing or not not. We're doing so badly, but there are players that are signed up to Arsenal who aren't playing or have fallen out of our manager and they're on loan or, or going to be released. Yeah, I, I'll take your point. Alan, a couple of things just to, 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 to that, that would baffle me about Arteta's decision-making, um, just in the game, just in the game on Friday, really. First of all, the, picking Pablo Mari after he's shown in pre-season. Anyone who watched those games against Chelsea and Spurs in pre-season, he was terrible. I mean, he was absolutely he was shockingly terrible. And he's never been that great. As he's had one or two kind of decent games, I would say. Um, why not? You know, why pick him? I don't know why he's picking him. Um, there are other options. We've got other options at centre back. Rob Holding, you know, did I mean? I'm not saying I'm not Rob Holding's biggest fan, but for me, he's more reliable than Pablo Mari. Um, and he took off. Um, uh, he took off. You know, the right back and put on the, our new left back in the substitution when he still had three left, three right backs on the bench. He snubbed three right backs, including your favourite Hector Bellerin. And whatever you think of Hector Bellerin, I mean, that was pretty amazing to do that. Um, I don't know what what that was all about. And just his whole kind of, um, his tactics, his, the way the team plays, as Ricky said, it's not looking good, is it? It's not. uh, You you nearly sidetracked that into the subject of Hector Bellerin and, uh, you know, I want to to cover that elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's it's the kind of thing that, I mean, I know know Ricky realised it when he was actually at the match and saying, this is not a good performance, and then being surprised at the stats afterwards. I think one of the things that I thought after the game were the, the number of steals on Twitter that came up of pictures of player A is in this position. Mm. This is his uh, angle of view. And the decision he made was to pass there when, now that you're looking at that still. (laughs) um, Mostly involving Xhaka, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, as time is paused, you can clearly see that it should have gone elsewhere. Now, they are professional footballers that should be able to make that decision in a split second. I mean, sometimes it's harsh to show a still picture and say, well, you know, he was running at the time or had someone on him and that person wasn't as clearly in view. But those kind of stills have been produced for most of Arteta's um, reign at the club. And it comes down to two things. It comes down, well, it, it comes down to one thing, and you have to decide what you think it is. Is it the players have been told to actually make those decisions in that in that situation? Um, don't pass it as a through ball to the player that's running on because, you know, one out of four times they'll connect with it, but the three other times the defence pick it up. Let's play to percentages, keep possession. It should go wide at that point. But so many of those steals point to the fact that if the players, if the players have been told to do it, it's an utterly bizarre tactic that goes in with all the other things that you said in this question. And if not, it's that the players aren't capable of taking the initiative of saying, surely that through ball is much better than giving it out wide. But I think it's all about giving it out wide. And I think they've been told 
that that is the the policy. And you know, as you said about the crosses, that that there are so many damaging things that I don't think he can come back from. And and you know, like Ricky's always already said, like surely at some point he will go prior to Aubameyang leaving. And and there seems to be like almost a consensus in the fan base that Arteta will go before Christmas. It will happen one way, you know, it'll happen in some way. Mm. There's, there's no way he gets he gets around this and, and it will happen in some way. And I think if we're all on that page, then surely the club should be looking for a replacement. If, you know, fans don't, fan, fan opinion doesn't, doesn't help for much in certain situations, but in this particular situation, I don't see where any, anyone is wrong here. I'm yeah, really so sure. people are going to say it's only the first game of the season, aren't they? Right, but it's the first. It's the first game of the season in a, in a, in a fixture where we know, as Ricky's mentioned, with the next two games. I mean, and, and we've all mentioned, you know, we regard as games that we're almost certainly going to lose. Well, you know, I do. Yeah. Right, I mean, right Merson, you, you mentioned Merson's quote. Yeah. He, he is known for talking. I mean, I think he's a club legend. He's my he was my favourite player yeah, during, yeah. during the time he Same, was at the yeah. club. And uh, I, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, he yeah. does talk a little bit. Yeah, about I, I know he does talk nonsense. Yeah, I know. But the, but the one thing he got right in this this particular rant was the attitude of the players and the way that we approach the game, and and that's on one person as well. And and mm. I, I know. Some people say, well, it's only your first game. But when you add up all the things in that only, it's Brentford. It's, you know, as we said earlier, they came up via the playoffs. Teams coming into the division don't have a great record. Um, and we approached it like, oh, well, it's only Brentford. And and, and those points, I think, were, were stronger than what Merson said about the, the, the other side of it, like the individual player criticism. But, but, and also, but the, my, my point that I was trying to make is that it's only the first game of the season, but all the issues have been going on for months and months and months. Yes. Pretty much, you know, from the back, you know, even through our good period of results, the way, uh, the way we play, the predictable way we play in this slow meticulous methodical thing like we're trying to remember it's almost like for me like watching us is like the players are trying to remember what the manager wanted them to do in training and it takes so long to get to that point of a move that we all worked out in training that by which time the opposition team was completely happy to watch us try and play this thing in front of their defense maybe, maybe that's why maybe that's why he's constantly shouting at them. yeah i think it is why he's constantly shouting yeah. at them and it leaves no room for improvisation as you say and we're scared i the for me, it's I. I don't even think the team, those players that as the, with the Merson thing. I don't even think they. It's their attitude that's wrong. I think they're just scared, and I think that fear comes. It has to come from the manager. I think Shaka's scared to place that through ball centrally to you know to the striker because he, he, he knows that the easy thing to do is just to give it to Tierney every single fucking time, and because Tierney will come up with a great cross, albeit no one on the end of it to actually convert it. Yeah. But, and that happens, and, and for that to happen time and time again, and it happened through the preseason friendlies, and people said you can't judge preseason friendlies, but you can when you see the team make, play the same way, gruelingly, and make the same mistakes, yeah. and can't fucking summon up chance, actual good chances on goal. That is why I think I agree. I think that's why I think we're all agreed that unless something miraculous happens... You know, you, I can't see him doing much with I, this I, team. 
I don't know the validity of the source of this, but there were, there were a few things floating around saying that certain players aren't that enamoured with the way that he he coaches them, and and you know, you'll get that everywhere because you know certain clubs, even when they're doing well, there'll be four or five people left out of the team that might be making sounds behind the scenes. But this seems like it doesn't seem like that. It doesn't seem like disgruntled players. The quotes. And however they've been leaked and whether they're true or not, the quotes do seem to be, you know, more targeted yeah. than that. And they yeah. seem to be because of this and given a very valid reason that it's it's micromanaged. It's, um, you know, it's the training sessions aren't, I think one of them was that the training sessions aren't particularly enjoyable and, um, no, I saw the yeah, complicated, yeah. boring. It, it, yeah. <laughs> my, my first my first mention of Arsene Wenger, and it's going to be a positive <laughs> one. It's going to be a positive one. I always got the vibe, even even in the times where we weren't doing so well under him, that the players bought into training and bought into everything about the club at that point. And you know, uh, pictures from training, open sessions. I mean, you can't you can't uh, you can't sort of decide it on that, but. I always thought that the players were sort of up for their work whenever they were training and they, they bought into stuff. And maybe they're not enjoying going to work at the moment. And, you know, mm. you might have been there in your own personal life. So if that happens, you never want to really be happy about the situation that you're in and uh, mm. and, and getting getting up for work in the morning. Uh, uh, Ricky, let's talk about this Granite Shucker situation. Um, he's signing a new, I've given him a new contract. He's signing a new contract. Yet, what, you know, merely a month ago, maybe he was going to go to Roma. It was clear that he wanted to leave. It's, it's, the Arsenal seemed to be happy for him to leave. And now, apparently, our entire midfield is back being in his hands again. <laughs> and he's going to be here for years to come. And we've just got to fucking deal with it. How, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think the, la- well, the last thing you say is, is the most important part. We just got to we just got to fucking deal with it because I, I I refuse to get my hopes up that he was on the way out because it was it was all too good to be true and it, that's exactly what it turned out to be. In fairness, I don't think he played too badly on Friday. Um, I think it was alright. Like I always, you know, as much as I um, hate watching him play football, I give him credit where it's due. And again, you know, going back to should we have. Would it have been better if Aubameyang and Lacazette would play? Yes, it would have done, but we were still playing Brentford and we should have been able to beat them without two players playing um, and party, of course. But, yeah, unfortunately, I think probably said all I, all I can say about Xhaka. Um, I think I think he's terrible. I think that... Um, he, won, know, he won. He was in the Euros, the best yeah, 11 team, but... And, yeah. and Switz, I think Switzerland won one game in the Euros in normal time. So, and that was against yeah. the team that... Yeah. No, I'm just... That I'm were just awful. I, I think um, I was looking forward to, a, to the post Xhaka era, if you like. He's yeah. not, he's not by the, the, the saddest thing is, he's not our worst player. He's probably, possibly, well, in my opinion, he's probably not even our worst five players. That is how bad yeah. we are. And I think Xhaka's very bad. And I don't think it's just that he's bad at football, which is, you know, pretty fundamental when you're, when you're, when you're playing the game. But I think it's just everything around him now. The, he's, he's got this weird relationship with the fans where you, he spits opinion. It's, it's not too dissimilar from Ozil when I was, I was very pro Ozil. Um, whereas on the flip side with Xhaka, people seem to really like him. I don't get it. I think it's time he moved on from him. You know, I've seen some people say, well, at least this protects us because we can get a fee for him. Whereas he was, I think he was running into his last two years of his contract. And I know he only exercised an option for to stay on. 
I don't we're know. Not, we're not going to sell him. There's no way we're going to sell no, him. I, I, I've, no, now I've Alan, come to Alan, that he'll be playing until I know what, he yeah. retires. I know what Ricky, like, you know, Shaka's perfectly capable of having some really good moments within a game. Yeah, he's he's, yeah. he's but, also, but, but most of the squad are, and this yeah. is the problem that we've been talking about for well over a decade in that, you know, we have a squad that's made up of people that if you wanted to make a highlight reel to make them look like some of the best players in the world, it's available to you. And the, the same highlights are available to you if you want to make the opposite video. And that's that's exactly what they're all like. And um, the, the, the whole Xhaka thing is utterly bizarre because, you know, having wanted to sell him and try to seek out a replacement, how can you switch your strategy so much that he now is a bigger part of it? And this thing about, like, as you said, like some of some of the people say, well, at least it protects his value. Well, that's that's an absurd argument because if people don't want to come in and buy him at what is nearer his base level of of, of price and at an age where he might do something for you, how on earth does does that expectation translate to? Well, in two years' time, they might pay more, or that, that's utterly utterly baffling. And and he made him captain again, and, and you know, and yeah. for me. I know, I know people obsess about the captain thing, but just fucking give it to Tierney then. I mean, t- forget, you know, for me like that, it just underlines that Shaka sums up the whole period, this period of mediocrity for me. And, you know, you've got a brilliant young talent like Tierney who has clearly has leadership qualities, you know, and just give him the fucking captain if when Obama's not, Alba's not playing. Not fucking, not, not, not go through this whole thing with Xhaka all over again. Yeah, I, personally, I, unfortunately, you know, who was our, the last captain, my guess was, probably Fabregas, maybe Van Persie, who you really like looked up to, if you like. And as much, you know, I love Mertesacker, but it was no, the captain's, the captain's armband, I think in general is a bit diluted. But Arsenal really has been. Oh, we had a period. Mertesacker and Arteta, I think they were both captains. They barely played a game between them. Hmm. Um, I'm not bothered about who has the armband personally. Um, you know, unless, you know, I love it if we had someone who, you know, like a Tony Adams figure or whatever of the era, but that's not, that's, that's not going to happen in the near future. So I'm not so bothered about that. I think the thing of Jack, like I said, you know, I'm almost uh, past talking about him because it's almost a joke amongst my friends, how much I dislike him. But, um, but the thing with he, he has the ability to just turn a game on his head in the most negative way. Like you look at Bernie last season, that just summed him up. He kicks the, yeah. virtually kicks the ball into his own net. Um, like I said, I was really looking forward to, to moving on from him completely. There's no sign of that anytime soon. I agree with Alan really about this whole protecting his value. No one clearly wanted him because they've all watched football matches and know that yeah. he's not worth having in their team. Alan, what do you think about the whole? Um, that, I agree. What do you think about the Ben White? What do you think about Ben White's debut and the fact that on TV, I think um, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher were going on about how when he played for Brighton, he played in a back three with three, three, three tall central defenders either side of him and playing for us without that. He's not very good in the air. He was easily beaten in the air multiple times in the game in, in the game against Brentford. And, you know, we paid 50 million for him. Uh, it, it, you know, are you, how, what's your feeling about him? I mean, I... I don't want to go in on him as a player in in podcast number one after his debut for the oh, club. Oh, go on. No, 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 because I, I don't think I don't I don't think it's either fair fair or I don't think I have the right argument to back it up one way or the other. But you have to say that everything you've just said is probably true. And you know, the, the analysis from Sky eventually settled on the fact that we bought the wrong centre back for the system that we want to play and 
that then points to stuff behind the scenes and whether it was Arteta requesting him or some kind of procurement policy they have to look for, you know, centre-backs with good stats because he did have very good stats last season. And you can see that if you did, if you went through the stat DNA model of, of looking at players that were good defenders last season in the Premier League and cope with the Premier League, that would be it. But you could equally... And again, going back to this highlights thing, you can equally show a few highlights where he didn't look, you know, one of the best players in that respect. I was optimistic in pre-season that he, the games where he came on, he did actually mop stuff up in a way that mm. suggested he would be almost um, someone that could cancel out those errors that, you know, Ricky mentioned with like Burnley last season and things like that with, with Xhaka. You know, it'd be someone that would be, you know, diving in late and, stopping things like that from happening. But there was no evidence of that at Brentford. And as you say, you know, you can't be bullied, outmuscled by any teams in this division, let alone newly promoted ones. And I mean, it's the debut where hopefully he learned a hell of a lot about the way he's going to have to play in this team and the kind of things that occur in our matches that he's probably not used to. I mean, maybe on Ricky Gone. So on Ben White, I think um, I'm confident that he'll be a good signing for us. So 50 million is a lot of money, but he's 23 years old. Yeah. If you take away the fee, I think no one would argue with that, which I know is maybe a, a silly thing to say, but, you know, we're going to always pay more for a young English player. And I'm, and I'm not displeased that we signed him. I think that playing against playing next to Pablo Mari will never help anyone. <laughs> yeah. um, I I didn't, I you know, I didn't know that Carragher Neville said that, but it was actually a point I made to the people I was watching the game with, is that he did play in a back three with Brighton. He played in a back three with, um, I think Adam Webster, who is incredibly tall, and Lewis Dunk, who's known for his heading ability. Ben White lost every header, I think, or it seemed like he lost every header to Ivan Tony, which is no disgrace. But Ben Ben White is not. I think he, I think he, I think he won about three out of seven or eight. I think. It was okay, three. so he's not he's not going to win lots of headers for Arsenal. No. Unfortunately, the way I see Arsenal's defence is that we've spent. 50 million pounds on one player and our defence is worse than it was last season because not a lot of people may be assigned to this view, but I think David Luiz would still be our best centre-back if he signed for the club again tomorrow. He Don't get me wrong, David Luiz had yeah. his faults, but you can't, I don't believe you can tell me that any centre-back at Arsenal right now is better than David Luiz. So I didn't, I didn't necessarily disagree with him going because he was, again, I think 33, 34 years old. And maybe, again, it was time to move on. But we signed one centre-back to replace him when I would have said we needed another centre-back anyway. And that centre-back is 23 years old. I can't blame him, but he's not as good as David Luiz yet. He will be. He's in a similar mould. He's very good with the ball. But we need another centre-back, I think, next to Ben White. We're not going to sign one because we've got another three first-teamers in Gabriel, Mari and Holding, whether you finish three first-teamers or not, and Saliba out on loan. So I don't I don't expect great things from Ben White at the moment because he's he hasn't got a good partner next to him. He's not the finished article, and he's playing I, in a team that I don't yeah. think is going to help him. I wonder yeah, whether we, we, go on. So I was just saying we we you know last season we were I think we were the least consistent defensively in terms of our lineup. I think it yeah. changed more than any other team in the division, and I know I, that, I, I imagine that, Liverpool probably trumped that, but. They had their own issues there, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, well, I think because their injuries occurred earlier, I think it's still us. Yeah, really? it's us. We were only unchanged twice, weren't we? Oh, sorry, we were unchanged yeah. in two games, if you um, like. There was, yeah, in the whole season. That's and you have, you have to wonder if it goes back to the points we were discussing earlier about 
you know, Arteta almost being trying to be too injuries aside, when there's not when there aren't sort of injuries to factor in, then was he trying to be too clever to almost pick a defense per match? Because as anyone knows, and you know, harking back to days of the back four, that's ne- that's never going to happen again because you know there's too many demands on on players these days. But surely you settle for at least your best defence in as many games as you can field it. And I don't think he did that. I think he did tinker around with that. And I think he, that was yeah. more micromanagement of, you know, he we won't seems... play that certain player there. We'll, we'll hmm. do that because he'll suit that game. It never works. Those things never work. He seems obsessed. I asked this on Twitter, this question on Twitter. He seems obsessed with having a left footer and a right footer in central defence. And that seems to be a big reason why he's picking Pablo Mari. Over, you know, and for me, I was like, this never didn't used to happen, did I? I don't remember, you know, George Graham being obsessed about having a left foot and right foot in central defence, and uh, people who knew a lot about defences, you know, it's just it seems to be his obsession. I see loads of other teams, you know, Man United constantly playing with two right-footed players, and you know, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, doing pretty well. You know, what's what's up? I don't get that particular element of his thinking. I don't. I don't think anyone does, Boyd. I, 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 it makes sense in theory, but I think I think I'm right in saying that Nathan Ake is uh, left-footed, and obviously John Stones didn't play yesterday in Man City. His old mate Guardiola well, played with uh, a right foot and a left-footed centre-back yesterday, and that looked another one. one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before we before we we've got to get to um, the Chelsea game soon, but I just want to. Um, a couple of things quickly. First of all, um, the goalkeeper in that situation, particularly back in, in the Brentford game, being fouled. I agree with Alan. I think you said it was definitely a foul. I think it was definitely a foul. But equally, a foul. but at the same time, I felt like you know he, should, he can't get himself in that situation. Can he's got to react quicker to someone literally molesting him and standing on him? As as, yeah. as the Brentford player did, so he has to take some responsibility for that, doesn't he? Um, and I feel like generally, Leno is not in a good place at the moment. Another one of our players is not in a good place at the moment. I I have an online Guna column which is called The Last Word, and um, you should all go and read that. Obviously, uh, as much as I enjoy doing the uh, podcast, I, I, have, I have read it, Alan. I have read uh, it. I did, I did uh, see some of your points on there, which I agreed with actually. Uh, uh, you say that like you don't usually, Rick. No, I, I, I really had it sounds like that. It wasn't wasn't that at all. Wasn't that at all. Yeah, I mean, we were famous, I will famous, read um, it sorry. imminently. One of the points I made on there is exactly where well, it's almost exactly what you just said, boy. So in that situation, he's got two options: make it much clearer to the officials that he's being fouled by that guy, or be a lot stronger and shake him off. He decided for this really timid middle ground of. Okay, right. He's got me here, but I, I might be able to get free. And by the time he got free, he didn't even go for where the ball was going. It was almost like he bottled out of the whole situation. Yeah. And like yeah. you say, he doesn't look in a good place because of that. Terrible. And the other quickly before we go, two 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 issues. Bellerin wants to go, Alan. Apparently, <laughs> according to Ornstein, let him go. Fuck off. Do we care? Oh well, look. I mean, there is so much to say about that. That, I mean, I could do a whole podcast on him. I mean, look, he, his his whole attitude while he's been at the club, I don't think has been great. And and the other thing that I would say about that is that he seems to have a, an inflated view of himself that is not felt, and glad and gladly we're seeing it now is not felt in 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 football in Europe because otherwise people would be queuing up to take him. So 
people say pre-injury he had you know so much potential i agree that he had potential but he hadn't really shown much before that and and after that people seem to be like trying to equate his personality off the pitch with the fact that oh well if he's if he's lacking in ability in these areas and he's playing badly his personality and the fact he's a great person off the pitch should should help that extra percent why is that a debate? I've, I've never understood that. It's a bit like the the England the England penalties from from the Euros going off at a tangent here. Is that it's absolutely fine to say you think Saka, Rashford, and Sancho, or any combination of those players took a bad penalty. It's absolutely fine to say that. If you are combining that or taking that out to be racist abuse. That is absolutely abhorrent, and there's not a chance that you, you deserve to air your opinion. And it seems to be like, why have we created a grey area in that place? Like, this this Bellerin thing is like, if he's a good person, we should put up with him as a bad player. Yeah. That's because we want, it's human, it's human behaviour. I, mean, I, I want to believe that he can be as good a player as he once was. I think he once, there were periods where he was really good, but then I do, do think he's declined. I don't think they were. I honestly don't think they were extended I know. periods. Where... I know. All right. There were mo- brief. There were periods. I think there were periods. But I, we, I desperately, as a human being, I want this lovely, bold, you know, great force for good to be a really good football <laughs> at the same time. And right now, I can't make that case. Yeah. Why, I, I, why are we sorry. crossing those issues? Why are we crossing those issues? We're I know. It's just saying human behaviour, Ricky. Yeah, I, I actually agree with both of you. I think on one hand, I love Bellerin's personality. But it's actually, I actually find it sad watching him play football anymore. I think he's got so bad that I don't think there's any coming back. And I think, sadly, I think it's time for him to leave. Just on the, just sorry to go back onto the Leno point. I have an issue with saying that he should have done this and he should have done that. As far as I'm concerned, there's there's a man on the pitch whose job it is to decide whether things are fouls or not. And there's also two linesmen. There's also VAR, which I despise, but... Leno is being fouled. He doesn't need to rant and rave. And yes, okay, maybe there should be someone who's helping him out in there, but he is fouled 100%. Oh. And it's the ref's job to say that's a free kick. Yeah. I mean, last season, that would have definitely been disallowed by VAR. It's, it's, it? There's it's, this whole really new VAR good. thing yeah, going on. There's part of that. But finally, finally, the final finally. thing before the, and the, the producer's going to be furious that I've gone on this long. The final thing before we predict what's going on with Chelsea is it looks like Odegaard is back on. He didn't, it wasn't in the, in the Madrid squad at the weekend. Um, all the talk among the football people, journalists, and people in the know seems to be that it's quite likely that we're going to get it. Is that, is that, are you happy with that, Ricky? Odegaard coming back? Yeah. Would you rather we went for another? Um, no, nah, um, I think Odegaard's. I think Odegaard's a nice player. Um, he reminded me quite a bit of Özil with some of his vision and some of his passes when he was here. That unfortunately, Odegaard is will improve us, but he won't fix us. I think it's a good signing. I can't think of anything wrong with the signing. I don't think it's going to cost us a huge amount of money, as far as I'm aware. Anyway, less than Madison. It's a good signing, but Definitely we need we need a he- we need a hell of a lot more, hell of a lot more than just than just Erdogan. And just one sorry, just a very small point. Apologies. On on Friday night, like we've there are a lot of England players that have played the starter for their teams. You look at Luke Shaw started at left back for Man United yeah. because their other left back was injured. Yeah. We had we had a Flant Balogun play up front for us, and we had Saka on the bench. When you've got no Lacazette and Aubameyang, you have to start Saka on Friday. Oh yeah, I and it agree. completely backfired. He came on his heads and shoulders about nearly every player in our squad. We had a guy making his Premier League debut for sixty odd minutes, and he didn't get a kick. Yeah, I, 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 I completely agree with that. He could he could have played Martinelli up front. He could have played Zaka. Yeah, I, I always think that with 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 management, in that you know players that you want to protect because you think they're not 
not fit or not up to last in the 90 minutes, get them on at the start and then yeah. see if that's the case yeah, at 50, at 55, at 60. And, and um, <laughs> yeah. that was that was the, the mad thing. Absolutely. And Alan on Odegaard, are you happy with Odegaard? I think he's about 20 million, they're saying. But mm. I completely, I can't add to anything Ricky's just said there in that it's, it's the kind of thing where you go, that's okay, you know, that, that'll be all right for the squad. It doesn't, it doesn't overwhelm me and it doesn't yeah. seem to me it's the, uh, the next building block in a process of getting us back to where we, where we want to be. Yeah. And finally, what is going to happen when we play Chelsea in our first home game of the season on Sunday and we face, presumably, uh, the uh, debut of Lukaku, returning Lukaku, the kind of player that will send paroxysms of fear up Pablo Mari, one, uh, one presumes. Ricky. <laughs> We'll win one nil. Oh, <laughs> crazy mofo! Yeah, I can't say we're going to lose. We're, yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll win one nil. Come We've got a good record against Chelsea, haven't we, Alan? Recently, I mean, yeah, and and, and so you almost stole on my thunder there, Ricky, because it's like football has a way of just making any of these predictions look a bit look a bit stupid. And the amount of Tottenham fans that thought they were already beaten before kickoff yesterday, in uh, you know. My, my my friendship group and WhatsApp groups with with mm. them, they all thought that they were going to get absolutely spanked yesterday, and um, it didn't materialise because football is a funny game of you know small amount of chances and stuff like that. So I don't think it's absurd to suggest that we might nickel one nil in that game, and that's obviously what we got to hope for and try and be positive on this podcast because um, there's every chance before kickoff that that can happen. So is that your official prediction? One nil. With yeah, amazing. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Anna. Okay, no, that's good. Um, I was going to predict a draw, but then I don't really see us drawing many games. Yeah, you so can be the same one in this group. I'm going to be the same one in this group and say we're going to lose 2-1. Yeah, I think we'll lose 2-1. I think we'll score, but... There we go. We don't even know if Aubameyang and Lacazette are going to be back. Apparently, you know, I saw reports saying they're still going to be ill. <laughs> but Jimmy, that's to do with how long they're still ill, as the Smiths <laughs> once sang. Exactly. Um, thank you so much, Ricky. Pleasure. Um, Pleasure. And thank you so much, Alan, as well, of course. Pleasure. Um, Enjoyed it. And uh, we'll be back next week, um, by which time maybe Josh will be back from holiday. Who knows? Um, thank you very much for listening. Um, we will be back. Cheers. Bye. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.